welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. There's no chapters. It's, it's an actual letter. And you guys know that we end the, the most messages, especially when I'm ministering, with this verse declaring this blessing over you. And I'm going to, uh, Doc Ryan and I are going to take this track of using this as kind of a, a launch pad into whatever unique thing the Holy Spirit is going to take us because we have, we have never ended where we've decided that we were going to end beforehand. <laughs> it, is, it, is always a, it is always a work of the Spirit. So verse 2 says, Beloved, who's that? You. That, that wasn't very convincing. Are you guys ready for church? Are you, is everybody okay? Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Who's the beloved? I pray that in every way you may prosper and enjoy good health. You know God wants that for you? <laughs> you know the world has uh, implicated me in vile fashion many times by calling me a prosperity preacher. As if that's an insult. <laughs> like, really? So I'm preaching prosperity and people are prospering? Yes, you sorry preacher. <laughs> okay, where do you go to church? Well, they preach us poor. Okay, makes sense. I'm, I'm okay with being called a prosperity preacher. I understand what biblical prosperity is. The least form of prosperity in the scriptures is money. God desires, so do Doc Ryan and I desire that all of you prosper and conjunction, both at the same time. It sounds almost too good to be true that God wants you to prosper and enjoy good health. And then he, then he put the connector to it. If that's what God wants, why doesn't it just happen all the time for everybody the moment you get, you get born again and then just wham, it drops on you like ripe cherries off a tree. Wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? But really, honestly, it wouldn't be good because then you wouldn't have to actually have relationship with God. He'd turn into your big genie in a bottle and every time you need something with your little carnal, selfish self, you'd just rub the bottle and tell God to pop out. He's not your lottery machine. He's the God of the universe. And all he desires is to be in relationship with you. That's why everything in the kingdom is contingent on intimacy. As your soul prospers. No prospering of soul 
No divine type of prosperity, no divine type of good health. Now you could be fit. You could be a Satanist and really fit. Right? You could, I mean, we just seen them on TV last week. They're dancing around as good little Satanists, and they were fit, and they had money. So you could be a Satanist and have money and be fit. But you are not going to be prosperous and in his type of divine good health. Verse 3, for I was overjoyed when the brothers came and testified about your devotion to the truth. Please note the infinite amount of importance, not only here in this uh, particular place of Scripture, but in totality of all of Scripture, the preeminence of truth. Truth. Satan is the father of lies. The antithesis of God is lie. Anything operating in your life, in your body, in your relationships, that has any part of a lie in it will not be prospering. What's really interesting here is you'll notice in the, the first verse where it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So Amen. what we know of Gaius, this is really interesting, is, is that most of your Bible versions interpret this as elder, the elder that you know at truth. But when you start studying church history and you find out who Gaius was, Gaius was John's scribe. He's the person that wrote, penned the rest of all of his work. And what he was known for this is really neat. Are you ready for this? Is he was the defender or the holder of truth. He kept, he kept the congregation steering in the right direction, rooted in God's word. And he was considered the most important person in the church because of that. Because he kept them in the truth of the word. Pretty neat. He testified about his devotion to the truth in which you continue to walk. These words mean something. Yeah. Devotion to truth. If I, if I said, sit down and write down 10 names of people that you know that are wholly devoted to truth, yeah. you might struggle to get 10. And then on top of it, that they're going to walk in it? They might know some stuff. They might be good little statisticians and tell you all the truth. Anybody have that Christian friend that can tell them all the stuff that's wrong with them that they need to change and do better? Yeah. And then you're like, are you doing it? Well, I'm not doing it. Well, then shut up. Or wait, the oh no, the kids are gone. Shut up. <laughs> Stop telling me to do things if you haven't embraced them. If they're not fruits in your life, if you're not walking these things out, you don't have the power and the conviction in your own heart to really, really help me get the lie out of me. Because you ain't got the lie out of you. Devotion to the truth in which you continue to walk. It's not you walked one time. And then verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
So this is circular again. That's why I love the way Steve started this out as circular. By the way, I am just so blessed to be here. This, I'd rather be here, up here with this guy, than anywhere else in the world. I think most of you guys know that, but I just love this. But I said, hey, what are we doing? This was a couple days ago, and this is what I love, is usually when I say, if I'm going to speak at a conference somewhere and say, hey, what's everybody else talking about? I get 18 pages of theological notes. Now, I'm a theologian, but I don't have a lot of room for that in my life. So when I, when I say, hey, what are we talking about? I get eight Bible verses, and that's it. No other direction. Eight Bible verses. I love that. It's pretty amazing. So, circular, walking in the truth, this is, this is an epic of Eden mentioned. So, you guys probably realize this, but there are idioms, whether they be in Greek, this is one in Greek that's yep. walking in truth. When you would say in Greek, walking in truth, that would be an idiom that would bring a whole message back to your brain. So, so this is one where, where he doesn't have to tell Gaius all the things that comes with this message. He says, walking in truth, and Gaius goes right to the epic yep. of Eden. He says, ah, halak. We need to be in total walking with the Lord. I did a whole message on this one. You guys might not remember. It was one of the first ones I shared with Beloved Church years ago about what it meant to walk in the garden. And what's, what's circular to this is when he says devotion to the truth, that's the same words. Now, our English translations kind of miss this, but when Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect, that meant wholly complete. Right. This is the idiom that points to Jesus. Yep. You see the connection? So he's, he's rooting devotion to the truth, point to Jesus, be the image bearers, look like Jesus. And as you do that, that's going to eventually lead circularly to what we were created for as a royal priesthood to walk intimately with the Lord and each other. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no truth outside of Jesus. And so, obviously, walking in the truth, you don't, you don't get there any other way. You've got to walk with Jesus. How can two walk together lest they agree? Right. You're not walking with Jesus if you're walking in a lot. And that's in your health, too. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm 45, and so everything's supposed to start falling apart, right? You know, your eyes go dim, and you got it, your ears this, and whatever lie that you've been sold that you believe you're going to walk in that, which means you're not going to take the hand of the one that's leading you. You're always embracing something. Are you embracing the ways of the world and the lie, or are you embracing the ways of the Lord and the truth? It's, there's, the world wants to make it look like there's a whole bunch of gray in between, right. but in reality, it's a lie or it's truth. And so, so when we bear the image we have to decide, are we going to go with destruction, curse, sickness, right. brokenness, or are we going to go with life, healing, and walking in intimacy? In Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 10, it says, Later, as Jesus was dining at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Two of the hated people in that society were sinners and tax collectors, and Republicans. 
Verses, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is, I just feel these words like radiating from my friend next to me. This is a contronyms because obviously God wanted the, the Israelites, the Jewish people that he called to the faith to be his own very precious people, his own unique precious people to take the message of who God was, of who Yahweh was to the whole world. They failed miserably, yeah. but that was their goal. Their goal was to gospelize the rest of the world, yeah. and they failed, it failed so bad that here's Jesus sitting with Jews, they're just not living the right way, right. and the religious majority says, how dare you sit with people that aren't right? Yeah. So Upon, in this verse, oh, it sorry. says, those who are sick, the, uh, this is interesting because Jesus is doing a lot in this verse, and so the phrase is kekos and kantes, which I'm sure means nothing to you guys. Verse 12, Mitch. But what it looks like is it looks like the first part of that word is to have badly, and the second part is an adverb, that's the kekos, that comes evil or harm. And so what it's saying is to have evil or harm badly in your life. That's the biblical definition of sick right here. To have evil or harm badly in your life, ill or bad. Now, what's interesting about this is it's a given that Jesus comes to heal our physical ailments. Like, do you, do you believe that Jesus does that? Do you believe that you are healed through, through the death and resurrection of Christ, that you are healed and given all of these things? So your physical life here, it is possible and very capable that you can receive complete healing here and now. Now, we're on this journey of of some of us get healing here, 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 and we all know that we're not going to be completely whole or made complete until we're in the presence completely of Jesus. Yet the hard thing about that scripture is where are we right now? We're in the presence of Jesus, right? You guys see in this thing? This is this circular message that we've been talking about. So the given in this verse is that Yes, we will be healed from physical ailments, but what this is kind of referring to even more than that is the moral illness of where you're at. The rest of the world is telling you a lie that this isn't possible. The rest of the world is preaching, preaching, preaching right. that this isn't what it looks like, and he's saying it's a lie. It's the wicked, the evil, the harm. Notice the connection of the moral with the, the connotation of sick, what Jesus is doing. Yeah. These are not disconnected. Like, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's not just flying. You know, people sometimes read Jesus, they think he's like, you know, high on Jesus juice, and he's over here like talking about, like, we didn't even ask you about that. I know, I'm answering the question you really need answered. So he says that it's the healthy who needs a doctor, not the sick. Or the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Well, well, duh. And don't you know the Pharisees are like, what? You're eating with publicans and sinners. Or uh, tax collectors, same thing. Tax collectors and sinners. Republicans, tax collectors. 
But look he does at, this on purpose because I'm like the most unpolitical person. So every chance he gets to throw Republican there. <laughs> it's a King James word, publican. And so sometimes I just act, I roll my R. Republican. <laughs> Verse 13 says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mitch, could you please, if it's possible, put 12 and 13 together. I want to show you something really powerful. This is neat. Um, what Jesus says that it's not healthy who need a doctor, but sick. And then he comes back and says, righteous and sinners, healthy, righteous, sick, sinners. He went all the way back to where sickness got its root. Yeah. Sickness is chaos language. Yep. Dis-ease. It's ease with dis, disease, dis-ease. It came out of the, the fall or the falls, depending on what you understand, this is an, the after effect of the enemy trying to bring destruction into humanity. This is a way that he did it. Sinner is obviously the word sin means to miss the mark. Righteous means that you are living in the truth. You are justified. Now we see this throughout all of Jesus' teaching. So a few minutes ago, we were in Mark 7, right before communion, and we were talking about the the woman. Now, later in that story, Mitchell, you can go Mark 7:32, and they brought to him one that was deaf. This is the little boy, and spoke with difficulty, and they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he became, began speaking plainly. Now, there's a few things about this that is amazing. Jesus spit on his tongue. We're going to have a healing line right over here. This is Doc Ryan's spitting line. <laughs> Living water at its best. How would you like to have... The water of Jesus in your life. Yeah. Jesus, wow. heal me. Spit on my tongue. So, Sorry. did you notice in this verse that you're reading the language that it was in? Have you ever wondered why that happens? There's only about 20 places in the Bible that they do this. 20 places in the Bible that you get the actual language. Usually it's because we don't have a translation or transliteration for that. But this is important. He does it this way because this is Aramaic, you might have guessed. This was the language of the boy. Now, what's interesting is it wasn't the language of everybody watching. Did you also notice how he took him to a different room? Right. Did you notice that? So there's all these people, and they're used to seeing, they, they want to be there for the lasers, light zones, skinny right. jeans, smoke machines, whatever. But Jesus says no. He takes him to the back room. He spits on him, basically. And he gets saved. But the crazy thing is in the same way that we were just talking about this, how, how they're asking questions and Jesus doesn't he just give them what the answer to the question is, but he gives them more. This is really important. He speaks and teaches that way, but he also acts this way. Right. So what happens is they're saying, they're saying the problem is 
This little boy is deaf. He needs, his deafness needs to be fixed. Well, Jesus fixes his deafness, but knows the problem actually isn't the deafness. It's that he is unable to speak and communicate, which is a signifier in the ancient world of intimacy. He's unable to have intimacy with the communion of believers. So what, what he does is, he, is Jesus is saying, you think you need this, but what I'm giving him is actually far greater than that. I'm giving him living water, and this is really interesting because uh, this is when it, when it says that he takes him over, spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. If you've got a really cool study Bible, this is all going to be in italics, that last line. The reason it's in, in italics is because it was a metaphor. Did he actually spit into his eyes? I think he did. I'm not saying he didn't. I'd say, yeah, he actually did that. But it's a metaphor for the conversation of living water. Remember the woman at the well? So, so this is a conversation of intimacy that he, he enters into. And what's really crazy about this, do you think the deaf boy heard the conversation before he was healed? When does the conversation come? Before he's healed. Doesn't that blow you away? Wow. So Jesus is speaking, and evidently the boy is hearing all of this, and he gets far more than he ever bargained for. Not only is he healed of death, but Jesus' action not only shows what he was talking about that Dr. Castle just described, but also is going to show by his actions that I'm not only giving you what you think you need, but I'm going to give you more. Some of us come before the throne, and I've, I've stopped asking Jesus for things in my life. Now, I know things that I, I could still be healed from, and boy, I'm going to pray over some of those today. But at the same time, I'm not limiting, or in my understanding of earthly ability, earthly ability, I don't want to tell Jesus what to do, because what Jesus is going to do is a whole lot bigger than the little umbrella that I had in mind for him. Amen. And if, you, if you're following where he's tracking here, he's tying this into intimacy, which is where we started in, in 3 John chapter 1, where your soul prospering is tied to your prosperity and your physical health but it comes from intimacy. He ties everything to intimacy with him. He tied this boy's healing into intimacy with the tongue. Go to John chapter 8, those of you that are following along in your Bibles. In verse 39, this is Jesus fighting with the people that wanted the religious uh, hierarchy that wanted people to stay broke and sick and miserable and in their control. Yep, that's what religion wants to do. Religion controls. Jesus came to set us free from religion. Amen. Abraham is our father. They declared, making them obviously the cool kids club. If Abraham's your father, well, then you're cooler than everybody else. And if uh, Jesus answered them, said, if you were children of Abraham, said Jesus, you would do the works of Abraham. This is, this is really important. This is a massive, huge doctrine that 
hermeneutically flows throughout all of scripture that comes down to image bearing. Jesus said, if you are saying that you are from Abraham, you would bear the image of Abraham. So he said, you cannot be from Abraham because you're not bearing it. You would be doing the works that Abraham did. Now remind you that the works that Abraham did was pretty darn simple. Believe God. Believe God. Abraham wasn't the most moral guy. Amen? Any of the women in the room know the story where he tried to sell his wife a couple of times to a couple of kings to save his tailbone? Yeah, that's probably not going to be okay. No, Kay's not going to be like, I I have the greatest husband ever. He only tried to sell me into prostitution twice last week. No, it wasn't his morality. Obviously, the law hadn't come yet, so there were still moral foundations that were yet uh, yet to be known. But the point was is that Abraham wasn't like this stellar star of what we would consider to like be a good Christian. You know what he had? Complete, unwavering, infinite trust in the voice that told him to trust him. And then in verse 40 it says, now now you're trying to kill me, a man who's told you the truth. What? The truth? He's tying us in. The man who's trying to tell you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. You are doing the works of your father. What's the works of their father? You know, I always used to tie this into killing. But Jesus tied it into lying. Let, Let me finish this. You are doing the works of your father. We are not illegitimate children, they declared. Our only father is God himself, which is funny. You know they killed Jesus because Jesus said that God was his father, and here they are saying God's their father. Bunch of hypocrites. I can't stand hypocrites. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. What's that? Bearing the image. For I have come, I've come here from God. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you are unable to accept my message. You belong to your father, the devil. The, the devil means the person that is accusing us to God. That's what devil means. That's why it's small d and not big D. Because you have many accusers. Some of them are sitting next to you. You'll catch that on Tuesday. You belong to your father, the devil, the devil, not big D devil. And you want to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. I struggled with this for 20 years. What in the world does lie and murder have to do with each other? Is anybody else like me? Like, you would think that he would say, you're like your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning, because he lied and then he kept lying and he's the father of lies. Why did he put murder and then go into all those lies? Because the first moment that we learn about this snake in the Garden of Eden 
was that he brought a lie that was the murder of the human race. A lie is the verbal form of murder. When you lie about something, when you lie about someone, when you live your life in a lie, you are killing what God wants to have happen in your life. Now, the context of this whole section, so if you break this up where it was, would have been originally written, if we could go back and see the original manuscript, it starts in 31 and ends in 47 in your Bibles. So that's the group that fits together. And the beginning of this is what we all know the Bible says is the truth shall set you free. Now, it's a reference to this circular motion of knowing that, claiming it, but not living it out. That's what this whole section is about right here. And so what it makes a reference to is in the same way as the Israelites were, were freed out of their slavery, completely set free. Eleuthero is the, is the Greek word meaning totally, totally delivered. Liberate. You've been completely delivered out of your slavery and then what did Israel do? <laughs> Find a different slave master. And so then what this is saying is, is, why are you living like that? Why are you living in your lies and your fornication? That's the words this use, verse 41. Why are you living in your lies and fornication? Why haven't you claimed the healing that's been given to you? That... The way that divine health and prosperity move in your life is through the truth. The way that the enemy steals that from you is through the lie. And remember, a lie is going to work the exact same way that the truth is going to work, which is through intimacy. I have given Doc Ryan basically uh, unhindered amount of access to my life and my heart. And if he called me tomorrow and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, you, you suck at being a preacher. That was the worst time that I've ever preached with anybody. I don't even know why you uh, even have a pulpit. In fact, I'm taking your doctorate away because I'm the president of the Bible college. You're a total loser. I would never say that, but it's a good illustration. <laughs> you know, that would be devastating to me. Yeah. Devastating. Yep. You know, but if random Facebook hater gets on there and makes up fake memes about me and lies about me and tells me that, you know, I'm just a liar and I, I'm always like, oh, well, awesome. I stirred up all the trolls, <laughs> right? And, and they ain't got nothing better to do than let me live rent-free in their head. Like, I praise bet you God. get phone calls. I'm like, Pastor Steve, did you see what they just wrote on this? Did you yeah. see what they said about you? It, I've had people call me in tears. You know what they said about me? Stop reading it. <laughs> It's not true. Who cares what they say about me? I care what he says about me. So are you catching this? He's living free of the lies. He's not letting those impact him, and neither should you. So the, the way that lies really get into your heart is only by you allowing honor and value to the voice from which they come. This is why Jesus basically said that these religious leaders were satanic. 
that they were of Satan. They were bearing the image of Satan because the voice of Satan, the voice of the, the accuser, the liar, was the voice that they were allowing to affect their image. And because it was affecting their image, what do they have to do? Well, they're, now they're the image bearers of that. They're going to take it out into their world and do what they learned to do because they've allowed the intimacy of that activity to be a part of now their new nature. I wear these scarves. I've, I've worn them every time I've spoken in, in your midst. And you guys always ask me what they're about, and I've never told you. Did any, some of you guys have got that. You're like, uh, I'll save it for another day. Well, this is the day. So we're going to talk, talk about what this is because <laughs> it's Healing Sunday. And you know what these scarves are about? Living free. Healing? So, <laughs> this particular scarf that you see, these red ones, thank you, um, this is called a kefaya. Thank you. And this by itself actually doesn't have a whole lot of religious tones to it. In fact, most of the people in the world would think this represents the other side of it. It's, it's kind of associated with Arabs in the Middle East. Muslims, things like that. So you can get these, and like I said, in, in, uh, in, most, in most Muslim countries, it's called a kafaya, so I don't usually call it that. In Arabic, it's a gutra. In, uh, in oh, let's see, Kurdish, it's a sirwin. But what's interesting about this, this exact same thing, you go to the Israeli army, and they're all wearing the same thing that everybody else has, and in the Israel army, they call these prayer shawls. By the way, who copied it from whom? So this is one of these things that the world has taken, and they've tried to give it a bad rap, a bad reputation. They've, they've associated a whole lot of evil with this. But that's actually one of the reasons why I love to wear them, because I love to reclaim. All right what God gave us. So according to the Bible, that technically this should have wool and a blue line in it, but I'll get to that. So, so this comes from the Bible. I'll, I'll give you guys a little story because it, it ties into where we're going today. Um, if you go back, this is 3,500 years ago. It's 890 years before the destruction of the temple, which scholars argue about the date. So you guys probably know 586, 587, you've heard that date. It was actually probably 421, but that doesn't really matter. It, it, it just means that we're 3,500 years removed. And so early in the Israelites walking, supposed to look like Eden, walking with the Lord, the cloud by day, he says, I want you to stay focused on everything that I do. So he gives them a a recipe to stay focused. This is actually what the law is. The law is a recipe to stay focused. All 613 parts of it. But he gives him a little part. And he says, each day I want you to pray three times a day. Now this is why we eat three times a day. Did you guys know that? That comes right from the Bible. Right from Moshe, Moses. He says, I want you to pray three times a day. Now, Hebrews associated, and this is where, why communion and community is all tied in together, because Hebrews associated prayer with God as the necessity that their body needs right. to keep going. We wouldn't consider not eating 
two or three times a day or nourishing our physical body. And in the same sense, we shouldn't consider walking with the Lord and not communing at least three times a day. So this is called the Shema. And at the end of the Shema, it says that even your clothing should be a representation of who I am. So a few minutes ago in communion, I said, when you cut your hand, you see blood, you see red. This is Red Sunday. How awesome is that? And you see it. And what is that? That every time you see blood, I want you to be reminded of your covenant with and in me. And that you should think about that three times a day. And as you go through, you should put these little tassels on your clothes. And these tassels, these ones are actually a little bit neater. These tassels should actually remind you of your intimate relationship with me. So that when you wear this every day, you'll notice that I pretty much wear these at all sacred times in my life. That, that I see the devotion in these little knots. And so what this means, it's actually a major, I might even say the major theme of the Bible, is that healing brings complete freedom. And in the Old Testament, they didn't get that. They knew they were living in faith, as Pastor Steve said, praying in faith over and over and over, but they didn't see Jesus. And then with this theme of being totally reliant on the law, the law was a stopgap that would lead them to Jesus. If you, if you live this way in the Torah, my five books, you're going to get there. So this is Numbers 15, and I don't know, it's 15, 37 through 41 talks about it. This is where you see the Shema. Um, Mitchell, you can bring it up if you want to, but I'm actually going to do a little Hebrew transliteration for some letters because I think that will help you. So it says, and Hashem, that's God in Hebrew without, uh, without saying the word God. You'll notice sometimes Hebrews use G dash D, and so Hashem is a word that they replace there. And Hashem said to Moshe, which is Moses in Hebrew, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them that they must, although that phrase is inserted in there, make themselves zitzi. Those are the little things right here, the little things, on the corners, you'll notice how this is on the corners, corners, that's the kanaf, so the zitzi on the kanaf, for generations, that's meaning not just right now, but the idea in the Old Testament is you believe that you carried the generations for before you and for after you, so that you could influence the generations that came after you, your children. Does anybody have a more important prayer than a prayer for your children? Right here. And on the tzitzi, give a string of teshele. That's essentially blue in Hebrew. Now, this is interesting because this is the dye from a shalizan mollusk. Once the temple went down, they didn't have access to the blue dye anymore. That's when these scarves turn to all different colors. And so they're still biblical when they're all different colors, but that's when they came. So most of these, this is actually wool and the correct blue dye. And so if you want to go find one of this, this is what most of them look like. And if you can fi find Shilazan Molesk blue dye, this is about a $300 prayer shawl because it's still incredibly rare. And there's something to be said about those rarities. Anybody ever been anointed? Somebody might be anointed for healing today. 
in some of the things that are mentioned in the Bible on our marriage conference. We, we handed out about seven different anointing balms that we could anoint with. And there's, there's something to be spoken. The Bible gives us a recipe. Are you guys following this? We get a recipe of how to live set apart holy, but some of us aren't following it. And it's really interesting that it, it says it, and just because this is in the Old Testament, we seem to like want to totally write it off. Ah, that, you don't need to do that anymore. But most of us would be a whole lot better Christians if we were following the law even today. So let me continue. They will see them and they will remember all of the commandments of God and do them. And they will not stray after their hearts and eyes so that they shall not pursue after them. So that they will remember and adhere to all my commandments and remain holy. That's the word for set apart to their God. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Hashem, your God. And so today you kind of see the these these uh, different types of these different types of on here, and the, the correct way, according to rabbis, it's not really in the Bible, is five knots in seven parts, and so that's what that one has. This is a messianic shaw, so it actually uh, denotes Jesus as the Messiah, and so they they still do that. They went all the way through. Now, later this is reiterated in Deuteronomy 22. So you get it in two places. Deuteronomy 22 is very interesting. So sometimes you go to church and you don't really learn anything. Like it was, it was not at this church, but I'm saying other churches. Like you go to church and it was a good cheerleading session, but you didn't really learn anything. Well, you're going to walk out smarter today than when you came here. So Deuteronomy 22, I alluded already that these little chapter sections aren't really in the original manuscripts or what we have of the original manuscripts. The only place in the entire Bible where it's accurate is Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22 is the 22nd separation found in Deuteronomy. Nothing else is accurate, I hate to tell you, but Deuteronomy 22 is. So if you're... In my Expedition 44 community at all, you know that 44 is twice 22. So when Jesus says to be complete, the number for being totally complete in your devotion, wholly given to the Lord, is 22. And then you pray that you might put that on the altar, as I'm going to encourage some of you to do. And when you put that on the altar, the way that God answers is by blessing it with a double portion. So the number 22 is representative of 44 if you can bring everything that God gave you back to him and ask that you be blessed by a double portion. But 44 doesn't quite cut it because this number in Hebrew means it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. So it really should be expedition 4,400,000, whatever, 44. The never-ending number. And so what's significant about that is numbers meant something to Moses. And so he specifically, I believe, titled this Deuteronomy 22 with, the, with this idea of keeping God at the center of everything that you do. Regular reflections, three times a day, looking back at him. And it's interesting, Ezekiel 8, there's this reference of, of Zitzi, and it's, it's used to 
talk about dragging this guy by the hair, basically. And it's a tzitzi because you find out that the person being drugged by the hair is a Nazarite. The Nazarite's priest became the representation of the tzitzi. Their hair was woven into strands so that everybody around them would see that they were upholding the set-apart Nazarite vow. They could never remove it. And that's why when Samson's hair is cut off and he removes the tassels of his hair, it was removing his intimate relationship with the Lord. Interesting, huh? And so these these are representative of relationship. These are different aspects. In fact, when, a, when a, a Jewish person, specifically a Messianic Jewish person, prays with their prayer shawl, they will look at these, uh, these tassels and these knots, and they each represent different things that they will pray through. And it, it is having intimate time with the Lord. Just like you said, the Shema was, was spoken three times, especially by the fathers over the children. And in there, it, you probably heard Dr. Ryan say this, where uh, it references Hashem. Hashem is the name. It's, that's the Hebrew word for the name. Yeah. It, it, is, it is about the embodiment, that identity, that image bearing, being spoken over that in the intimate time of prayer. When you spend time with your father in intimacy, in prayer, you become like him. Can anybody in here speculate that your father is, is broke and depressed and sick and miserable and he's, you know, he's looking for a politician to kill, like some of us? <laughs> these, are, uh, these are taking us back into the truth. This is about focusing your attention on the truth, on who he is on who he created you to be. If you remember when David uh, did his great, great transgression, you know, and this is, this is something that, that is still, uh, that I'm still getting greater and greater depth of understanding that the average Jewish person basically doesn't like David. Like, they're like, that guy. Yep. Like, he gave us a bad name. Oh, you know, old king out there, uh, shacking up with other, your best friend's wife, yep. and then killing him. Like, I, I've met, I've had lots of, uh, of either Arabic uh, or Muslim or Jewish people worked for me back in the restaurant days, and Jewish people that are not Christians and not very deep into living Torah, they don't like David, because David was a terrible dude in, yeah. in, the, in the expression of how he lived his life. And so he gets into adultery, steals his best friend's wife, and then kills his best friend to get rid of the evidence. And then she's, obviously she's pregnant. And so then the baby dies because of the judgment on this whole thing. And then David comes into this powerful, powerful time of repentance and then writes Psalm 51. Yeah. And I just want to show you something here that is so important for us to understand in this new covenant because David was a new covenant representation in the old covenant because he had some things figured out that was beyond his covenant. Right. In verse 13 and 51, it says, And I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness. Look how that's just tying in. Yep. yep. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. 
Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. What does God want from you from your failures? Yeah. Sacrifice? Do you need to go sit in a corner with a dunce hat on for four days? You go sit there and you think about what you did. He doesn't want these sacrifices. He doesn't want this, this in, uh, unrelational way of just going and, and paying your penance. Go, go give me 50 Hail Marys and, and whatever the other. That, that is not how we have intimate with God. What God wants is he wants us to come intimately and sit with him and discuss the things that are going on so that he can get the things out of your life that don't belong. The lies that produce those failures. David believed a lie. He believed that Bathsheba should be his. That's a simple lie that he believed. It wasn't even complex. Depending on the amount of, of intimacy with God, you can be fooled, you can be tricked, you can be deceived by some of the most minute things that a more mature person would be like, you fell for that trick? Just like little kids. Hey, watch this. Oh, my thumb's missing. And the kids are like, wow, where'd it go? Oh, or however you do, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and kids are like, wow, look at you do the cool thing with your thumb. Like, go do that, go walk up on us. Hey, watch this, Doc Ryan. Whoa, oh, yeah, you're impressive. <laughs> Why is he not fooled? Because he has wisdom and understanding about what's going on with that lie. So this is what I love about team teaching, is you hear everything twice. I'm a teacher by, by trade, and you say you got to get it three times before people get it. And so when Steve says, he, did you notice how he paused on blood guiltiness? This is really important because when David is talking about transgressors and sinners returning, and then he says, I'm guilty of the blood guiltiness, what this is saying is he recognized now, this is crazy because he is before Jesus spills his blood on the cross. But he recognized that the blood was already significant. He recognized that the blood of the covenant, they had covenant, they understood it was yep. based, cut a covenant in blood, they understood that it was based in blood. He understood that when he enters into that covenant, as Pastor Bob says, when he's transformed into a totally remade hot rod, supercharged, new person, that then there's no longer place for the old one. Yet David, what did he do? He kept returning to it. Just like you and I sometimes do. And what he says, his, his mind was smarter than his actions because his mind wanted it, but his body wasn't there. And his body kept committing it over and over and over. And what David is saying in Psalm 51 is I deeply long to be delivered once and for all. I don't want to entertain this anymore. Yet his whole life, he's plagued by the actions of yep. his physical body. Yep. It cost him lots. 
In verse 17 in Psalm 51, this is how David states it in there. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. What God is looking for from us is our hearts and our spirit beings, which is the breath of God that's in our lives, is being back into intimacy, which is truth. Romans 8.11, this is a, a verse that we're all probably familiar with when it relates to healing because this is Paul using this exact same concept. The spirit of God being the delivery uh, aspect of how God is bringing this life and this health into our bodies. And in Romans 8, it says, if the same spirit that is in Jesus Christ, and remember, the spirit of God is called many times in the New Testament as the spirit of truth. Jesus specifically referenced it. When the comforter comes, the spirit of truth. Gave him two names at once. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Oikos. Now there's something about Greek here. Why is this important? This is, this is the habitation. This is, this is like the Greek way of saying tabernacle. Yeah, tabernacle with me. That, and specifically that word oikos there, the first one where it says living in you is uh, the, in the verb form, which me, and it's also in the present active. So there's no past and there's no future. Like one day I will live with the Spirit. Last week I lived with the Spirit. You either live with the Spirit right here, right now. You're either tabernacled with Him, presently active, or you have, you have severed yourself from His life, from His living, from His life. If the same Spirit, uh, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who lives. He said it twice in there. And that second lives is oikos, except it put uh, personification on the front of it, which is the E-N. And that literally creates this intensification, which is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The more intensified you are living in the spirit of truth, the more likely it is to resonate into the mortality of your life. So this is why David was living his whole life tormented. Because he never got here because of his sin holding him back. So what this is a, a reference to in the New Testament is saying that you need to be completely living, presently continuing as if the Lord lives inside of us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should be walking with him, tabernacling with him nonstop so that we're no longer living in the ways of our old sin, but we're completely redeemed and healed of it. David never got completely redeemed. Now, there's, you know why I know that? Because he wasn't able to build the tabernacle. Did you guys know that? He built a little music tabernacle that they played 24-7 a day. Someday this band up here is going to be playing 24-7 and this is just going to be a non-stop Jesus party revival thing going on all day long. And that's what David wanted, 
but the Lord didn't let him build the, the tabernacle. And the reason was is because he wasn't living a completely redeemed life. Isn't that crazy? He wasn't there. And so later we have Jesus, and, and they should have got it in the Old Testament. David should have got it. But he didn't, and we get Jesus, and now we're told, you are redeemed, you have no excuses like David had. Claim it, live it, be redeemed, and let the truth set you free. Amen. Amen. Gosh, you got me preaching now. That's rare. <laughs> you don't ever preach. I got, I got Doc Ryan preaching. <laughs> On prosperity. <laughs> there you go. Man. So I have a little what, bit of what Deuteronomy 22 is all about that David never got was living in balance, a completely balanced, delivered, free life where nothing holds you back. You are complete and you are ready to go. Supercharged, renewed. Some of you guys have t-shirts that say this on them, by the way. Renewed and ready to go, you are there. And so this, is, this happens all the time, but, but when would people wear these? Whenever they, were, whenever they were ramping up their spiritual life. So they did it three times a day, but more importantly, weddings, funerals, all of that stuff. And are you ready for when they usually wore them? And this is where we get this one from is they wore them into war. This was their battle garment that they wore into war. And the reason it was their battle garment is because it was a sanctuary. And so as you see the big version of these, you see traditional Jews doing this all the time, of doing this. It's drowning out everything else of the world and coming totally to the place of tabernacling with the Lord drowning out everything else that means nothing and to be immersed in the tassels, the things that mean something. And so this is war room language and that's why these turn into a piece of war material. This is why if you ever look at like people warring, U.S. troops in the Middle East, almost every one of them has yep. this around their neck. In fact, when I was in high school, we entered into the first Desert Storm War and you might remember General Norman Schwarzkopf. Do you remember him? We were sitting on, on the couch watching a Sunday afternoon football game. Not set apart. <laughs> and this announcement came on because the war had just started. This is the like late 80s, I think. And General Norman Schwarzkopf came on and announced that they were changing everything and adapting to Middle East war and showed that these little scarves that he had around his neck were now part of the issued things that the army people would get. And I was like, I don't know, 12 years old at the time. And my dad jumped off the couch yeah. and went, hallelujah. My dad was kind of like one of those crazy like end time conspiracy theories guys. And he said, hallelujah, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> he was convinced this is all it took was a scarf on Norman Schwarzkopf to denote Jesus was coming back tomorrow. <laughs> 
The reason he thought that was because it was an introduction back to biblical things into our nation. Now, I'm just about done with our nation, so I'll let him take over. <laughs> Luke 20, and we'll end here. So they, verse 21, so they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly, truth, teach the way of God. And then verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Every Christian is like, no, say it, preacher, no more taxes. <laughs> Hold on. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, you know, part of being living in the truth is that you know when people are trying to deceive you. I pick up on this a lot. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Show me the coin. Whose inscription and likeness is on it? What do you look like? Whose inscription and likeness is on you? Whose image do you bear? Would you bow your heads? If you had prayer shawls, I'd say put them over your heads. In Malachi 4, Israel was way out of alignment. They were way missing the mark. They were off course. Malachi comes up and he says this to them. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and frolic. Now this is in the deepest, darkest place of Israel. And they didn't know what to do with that. And slowly as they turned, as they turned, it seemed like things were getting worse, not better. But then in Mark 5, we get this crazy story. This is just a few chapters before all the miracles we've been reading already today. And in Mark 5, there's this woman bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. And she, she comes to Jesus in this busy thing, and we don't even know anything about her. And she, she touches the cloak, the corner. The kanaf, the tassel, the zitzi of Jesus. She's immediately healed, and Jesus says, I felt the power leave me. And there were healing in his wings. The picture I get of Jesus is in a prayer shawl. It's in a prayer shawl trying to escape the crowds because he wants to get back in intimate relationship with his father. That's what he was always craving. And he was probably had, had his wings going. You notice that looks like wings when you got your prayer shawn and your hands out. And there was healing in his wings. It's a metaphor for truly meeting Jesus and being completely set free and healed. Why do I wear this scarf? Because it signifies that I have 
everything that I need for heaven to come down right here, right now. And I'm inviting you. Father, we will we release your spirit of truth in this room to decimate the lies that has affected the image of some of these people, your people, that has convinced them to embrace a substandard, a sub-Eden way of life. I curse the lies that are affecting their souls, affecting their bodies, affecting their destinies, and command them to be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So I'll proclaim liberty over all of these folks. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Liberator. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that right now in this room, you are releasing people from their lives, their sicknesses, their addictions. The image of someone other than you that has influenced their identity. I declare freedom. Yes. In Jesus' name. Father God, may you see into the deepest places of your servants. Lord, may your compassionate eyes and your deepest love rain down on us right here. May you, El Shaddai, sustain the deepest groanings of our hearts that we may be wrapped by your ever-loving arms. Eternal God, El Alam, may your refuge, your hands cover our families. May they be marked for generations through spiritual, physical provision. May you grant us prosperity with no limits. Amen. Yahweh Yireh, we have no way to know how you wish to heal us and answer our prayers of supplication, Lord. We have no no measure for what you might do, Lord. It's not just a double portion that you wish and want to do. Right. It's immeasurable. Right. And Lord, we, we ask that you bring that to us right now. Adonai Rapha, we cry out to you. We plead. Some, some in this room cannot bear the hurt that has been bore on their life. And Lord, to them, I, I pray that your spirit falls down and reigns over them to the deepest chasms and afflictions, Lord, that they, might, that they might grant to take a hold of what you're offering, of being truly healed forever. Right. Jehovah Nisi, may we hold your banner high and be transformed from our lowest places to the highest towers. Oh, Kadesh, 
history, may we be set apart. May we be the remnant in this dark, terrible-looking world that we live in, Lord. May we be the light, the encampment of your altar that exclaims who you are. That you might be the glorified King, Creator, Restorer, Horn and Shield, that all the world might fall at your knee and be healed. Amen. Lord, you are the source of everything tov, good, that we are. And Father, we are not worthy, but we are partners with you, and we open up our hands and lay our lives down to you and ask that you might find favor in us, that we might move to represent your image to a dark and hurting world. Lord, you are our shield, and to you be the glory. May we represent you. Cecilius Bessalone, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, Lord over all, in my life, in the life of my community, Amen. and those around me. Please rise so we can bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.